HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. On Heritage Radio Network, I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, February 17th. This is the 96th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the director of special projects for one of the most famous culinary personalities, and I will introduce him in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to pay your dues. Don't expect to be the big chief or the top gun before you gain some experience. Starting at the bottom and working your way up will give you an incredible skill set and appreciation for what it takes to run a successful business. So build a foundation before you declare yourself the boss. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest calling in from Chicago today. It is Andrew Kaplan. He is the director of special projects for Rachel Ray. Andrew, or Cappy as he is widely known, is a professionally trained chef, food lover, and adventure seeker. He is also the director of Rachel's cooking and kids charity called Yum O. So, hello, Andrew. Are you out there? Hi, Sherry. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm actually in Austin today, but uh, oh. I'm on the road this month. So. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I had heard a little wind before, and I just assumed you were definitely in Chicago. <laughs> one would think. One would think. <laughs> okay, so you are on the road. I know that that is a part of your job, um, unless you're just out there to to have some good barbecue. <laughs> 
But um, I haven't I haven't hit the barbecue circuit yet, but I do love the barbecue out here. Yeah, I'm here for a little work trip. Okay, well, cool. Let's let's start out with your background because well, I I read this fabulous piece on you in Food Arts that that uh, the accidental career that really covered how you how you how you got a, a bit started and and how you met Rachel. So, but why don't you tell us like. A little about growing up, and and did you always want to be a chef, or how did you get involved in the culinary world? Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of uh, born into the industry, if you will. My father grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. My father always worked on the wholesale side of the food industry, um, and still does. So he was the one selling to restaurants and hotels and whatnot. And my mother was kind of the chef of the house. So. From an early age, before I could see over the stove, I was standing on a chair in the kitchen, and my mom would make a, you know, a dish or a sauce and put me on the chair, and I would taste it off of a spoon, and she'd say, does it need more ginger? Does it need more orange zest? Does it need more soy sauce? And I never, I never knew what she meant when she was saying, does it need more of something? I was like, what do you mean, does it need more? It tastes great to me. You know, she was a fantastic cook. So, um, you know, I would, I have two older brothers, and... Um, they would come home late, usually, when they were in high school or college, and I would wait up for them, and when they would come in with their friends, I would cook them some food late at night, and they, of course, would love that. And I, I don't know, I just always had a love for, for cooking, and then, you know, going through high school, people would say, you should go to culinary school, and I always kind of laughed it off. I'm like, oh, that, this was before culinary school was like the rage, and I was mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, that's silly, I'm not going to go to school to cook, you know? Um, so I didn't, and I, I wound up going to the University of Kansas for two years, which is a beautiful school, and loved it. But after two years, when it came time to decide uh, what you know program I wanted to go into, I had no love for you know business, architecture, communication, anything specific like that. And I, at the time, I was living in a house with uh, it was an eight bedroom house in Lawrence, Kansas, with a bunch of other guys and. Um, I was up late at night watching TV in bed, and I started seeing infomercials for culinary school, believe it or not. Um, and one was for a culinary school in Minnesota or something like that. And I was like, well, this sounds interesting. So I started applying to different culinary schools across the country, and all this mail started coming to our house in college. And my roommates were like, what the heck is this, Kaplan? You know, where do you think you're going type thing? Um, so one spring break, uh, one spring break, uh, we were – all headed to Las Vegas for a college spring break, and I decided to head to the East Coast, and I visited a couple different culinary schools, Johnson & Wales and CIA and whatnot, and then wound up meeting my friends in Vegas, and I kind of pulled the plug on KU at that point while I still of the Jayhawks, and uh, headed out to High Park, New York, and went to Culinary Institute of America. Which is super impressive. That was kind of the... <laughs> Thank you. It was an it's an amazing school. Was an amazing school. Still is an amazing school. Uh, I always say, if I could put a pause on my life and a career wasn't didn't really matter, or money didn't matter, or time didn't matter, I would do that whole program over again. No joke. I mean, every day I woke up excited to go to class, and I could write down ten or more things every single day that I learned um, in the curriculum, which is an amazing thing, and I loved. And then. From there, I had the fortunate opportunity to doing an externship program at the Four Seasons Hotel in Los Angeles, uh, Beverly Hills, which was an amazing experience, and came back to CIA, and one of my chef instructors uh, 
was asking me what I wanted to do in, in, in the field, and I had no desire to necessarily be a big executive chef at the time. So he was encouraging me to go back to school for a hospitality degree. And um, at the time, it was a rather new program at the CIA. Uh, so I, I, that program was closed. It wasn't open to enrollment at the time because it was full. Um, so I actually wound up um, kind of uh, having the pre- – I, I, I requested a sit-down meeting with the president of the CIA at the time. I wanted to get, like, the top of the tops, you know, um, where does he think I should go or what does he think I should do? So he shot off a couple of different programs in schools across the country, being that CIA's wasn't open at the time, had some relatives in the Miami area. Um, Florida International University came up. They have one of the top hospitality programs in the country. And I wound up uh, going home to Chicago for a few months, and then I headed out to Miami and completed the program for a restaurant and uh, restaurant hotel management at Florida International University. Yes, I'm familiar with FIU because I grew up in Miami, and I do know it has an incredible program. So you're at FIU, and then that's where you got involved with uh, the Food and Wine Festival? I did, yeah. So I went to FIU, and um, I had a lot of transfer credits from KU and CIA. So I, you know, it wasn't like a, a big, long, drawn-out program for me, but I was able to take classes all the way through the summer and finish very quick. Um Loved my experience there. They have some of the top, you know, professors in the country. Um, at that point, I was kind of in this boot camp mentality of CIA, so I took advantage of it all at FIU as well. And I started seeing these signs for the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, and I flashed back to when I moved to Miami in August of 2003, is it, around there? Um, 2002, I... August of 2002, I show up to Miami and I started seeing these signs for the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. I was like, that sounds amazing. Well, it happened to be the weekend before. So that was the the first and only festival that I missed in Miami. <laughs> um, so when I started seeing them again for the next year, I found the chef instructor at FIU at the time, Chef Michael Moran, um, who's fantastic. He was a CIA graduate. And I said, hey, chef, you know, I hear... You know, Marcus Samuelson and Dean Fearing and, you know, all these chefs are going to be here. I was like, I would love to help them prep. And he's like, what's your background? And I told him, he's like, all right, look, kid. He's like, you're going to be a student lead. He's like, you're not going to be prepping. He's like, I know you didn't just fall off the back of a potato truck, so let's get you a little more involved. And I was like, sounds great. So he's like, we're going to introduce you to this guy uh, from Food and Wine, Devin Padgett, that's coming in town. And uh, you, you should have some meetings and sit down and see if they need any help. I was like, oh, great. And in my head, I was like, holy cow, food and wine. This is like the top of the top, you know. Um, so I got involved. They made me a student lead of the culinary demo section of the Wine and Food Festival. Had some meetings on site. I was expecting this, like, suited-up guy from food and wine to come in. And you know Devin Sherry. He's like this awesome, smart, casual guy. And he comes rolling up with, like, cargo shorts and like colorado work boots and i was like oh this, this is gonna be fun you know um, yeah so he's the best i had him on my show oh, sorry i had him on the show uh, uh, yeah. recently so he is awesome and casual yeah in his cargo yeah Devin's great <laughs> yeah i uh exactly i um i listen i actually tuned into that show that was a good one. Oh, cool um Thanks. so i started you know working as a, a student lead for the wine and food festival um, it was probably one of the best weekends of my life, being around all these chefs and being able to take a leadership role in the culinary community for this event that 
at that time was only in its second year or so. Um, and from there, the rest is kind of history. I, I was going to graduate from FIU and look for a job for a, a restaurant group or something. And all of a sudden, I, I got this email from, I think it was from Devin or Lee Schrager, Lee, who's also been on your show, the founder and festival director. And he was like, hey, uh, what are you doing after you graduate? And I was like, I don't know. I think I want to work for a restaurant group. And, you know, he's like, great, what group? And he was trying to, like, help me out in that sense. He's like, would you want to work for the festival? He's like, why don't you come work for us, network a little bit, stay with us for a year or two. And then, you know, by that time you'll have met a bunch of people and you can move on. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. And then in typical Lee fashion, you know, like one second after I said I would, you know, I said, I'll get back to you in a few days. And a day before those few days, Lee comes ringing in in, in Lee fashion saying, did you make a decision? <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I could tell you where I was. I was like walking around Nordstrom looking for a T-shirt or sweater with my mom. Like, I remember this clear as day. And, you know, Lee's call came in. So um, I wound up working full time for Lee. I was one of his first full time employees of the festival. He had some other folks. Um, that worked on and off with it throughout the year, and I was one of the first full-time ones. Um, stayed with Lee for a few years and loved my experience there, of course. Helped see that festival through year three, four, five, six, and, and beyond. And then the Rachel happening came about. And how did that exactly happen? <laughs> well, short story long... Um, <laughs> I, all these different, like, you know, I used to make T-shirts as a hobby and food-related T-shirts as that before you would see them, you know, sold in department stores and whatnot. And for, geez, almost 20 years I've been making my own T-shirts as a hobby, and I would wear these to the different food festivals, and every time I wear them, a different chef or food media person would come up to me and say, oh, what shirt are you wearing today, you know, and I would have, like, a... Uh, green shirt that said Granny Smith in white or, uh, you know, a, a white shirt that says jalapeno in green or something like that. Um, and they were just fun conversation starters, if you will. Uh, and I went to go pick up Rachel at the hospitality suite one day, this was like 2004, and I was wearing a yellow shirt that said polenta on it in brown. And this is a whole other story of why I had that shirt, which if we had time, I'm happy to get into. <laughs> and I walked into the hospitality suite at the Lowe's, and Rachel's like, hey, buddy, cool shirt. Where'd you get that? And I was like, oh, I made it. And she's like, w w what do you mean you made it? And I was like, oh, it's a hobby. I've been making T-shirts for years, and I made it at a store at home. You know, she's like, cool. I have a friend I call Potato and Spud, you know, him and his wife. Can you make me one? I was like, yeah, sure. And I was driving her in a golf cart down to the beach, and she's like, I don't understand. Like, you just make these? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, in my, I was like 24 at the time. I was young. And she's like, cool, if I give you a bunch of money, you want to start a business? <laughs> and I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> Not knowing anything really about, like, the apparel world, you know. And so she's like, cool, I'll give you a bunch of money. Let me know how much you need. And he here's my email number, and here's John, her husband, and, and let's, you know, continue to talk. So... You know, I dropped her off at her demo, and I was like, holy heck, what the heck, what just happened, you know? And so um, I obviously go back home and start researching the heck out of, you know, T-shirts and fonts and lettering <laughs> and sourcing and all this stuff. And actually from there, she wound up um, flying me to New York. She was launching her magazine in 2005, and then her daytime show in 2006. She wound up flying me to New York from Miami 
to show her all the T-shirts that I made and to show them to the president of Reader's Digest, who was, you know, the publisher at the time. They no longer are, but they were the publisher at the time. So here I am in New York. Rachel brought me in. I'm still in my low, you know, low to mid-20s and um, showing her these T-shirts. And from there, the magazine actually wound up starting a website called Shop Rachel Ray, um, where they sold her books and some of her products and whatnot. Wow. Um, and then from there, you know, we had, we've had different e-commerce partners along the way, but you know, just started working with her on these T-shirts. She actually wore one of the shirts I made for her on the inaugural cover of her um, Rachel Ray Everyday magazine, which um, was super exciting as well. And it was just a neat relationship that formed. And simultaneously, at the time, I was working in Miami, and in my free time, I was teaching kids cooking classes at a little independent uh, cooking store in Coral Gables. And I kept sharing with Rachel what I was up to and, you know, about these cooking classes. And um, she's like, cool, keep me in the loop of what, you know, what you're up to and what's going on. And um, another side project I was working on where I was trying to bring inner city kids in Miami into these fancy restaurants to have them um, experience a meal that they've never experienced. And was telling her about that. She's like, hey, you ever think about coming to New York? You know, I have some charity work I want to do, and it seems like right in the same direction. We have a similar vision, and I wound up having some meetings, and the next thing I knew, I uh, was moving to New York from Miami. <laughs> wow. It's all a crazy twist and turn of events. Yeah, very that's, Yeah, that's very crazy. incredible. And, yeah, I'm just digesting that. That's an amazing uh, introduction and how you got <laughs> how you got into working with Rachel Ray. Uh, I guess we call it the power of polenta. In each of those stories. <laughs> but yeah. um, we're going to take each a little. Each of those stories has like a difference. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if I had, I would I, probably use a, a couple hours of a show with you. But um, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk more about what you're doing now and what it's been like working with Miss Rachel Ray, Mrs. Rachel Ray. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Okay. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Andrew Kaplan. He is the director of special projects for Rachel Ray. Uh, we just heard his incredible story, how he got to working with Rachel. So Rachel has so many projects. I mean, she has her TV show. She has her magazine. She has books, uh, 22, I believe she's she's written. Um, she does the cooking demos. So I don't know how she does it all, but how do you how do you work with her? Which of these things do you work on or do you dabble in all of them? <laughs> um, like, what's a day in the life <laughs> for you? Gosh, well, a day, in the, a day in the life is never the same. I'll tell you that, which is what keeps the job exciting. Um, I mean, most of the things you just mentioned, I'm involved in the simple way I explain it. My, my elevator pitch is anything Rachel does 
I say most things Rachel does food-related outside of her daytime show studio, I have a hand in. So um, I help her with her cookbooks. Um, she writes all of them, hands them into the editor and the publisher. And at that point, I kind of, you know, when the publisher has random questions, I'll take a stab at those going over them on my own or with Rachel. I set up the photo shoots for the cookbook and hire the food stylist and photographer and prop stylist and things like that. Essentially, when Rachel's food is portrayed somewhere and she can't be there, she knows I know how it should look and taste. Um, so I'm kind of like her advanced team, if you will. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Like you all said, <laughs> setting, up cooking demo, setting up cooking demos and appearances and, um, gosh, what else? She do, we do a big – I'm in Austin right now. She does a big event uh, during South by Southwest called Feedback, which we're going into our ninth year. And we have three days' worth of events. We wind up putting out over 10,000 portions of food. Um, so I head up all of that with her. So a typical project, project like that may be, you know, sitting down with her, taking her recipe she wants to do, or kind of batting around some ideas. And she always says she can never pick a favorite child, so she'll give me six, eight, 12 recipes. Meanwhile, I only need four, so she leaves it to me to be the bad guy and, and cut the cut the ones that that we shouldn't have there and from there i take the recipes and i work with our you know some of our production and food team on the ground here in austin um, give them notes on the recipes today we just did a food tasting so they created all four of the recipes we'll be serving at one of the days at our event and then i just give them notes how something should be served what it should look like what it should taste like um and then I'm right now on my way to one of our other venues that we're doing a, a party at. So have, I'll have a production meeting with that team there and just talk about everything from where the signage should be hung to when the food you know should be served to where the bar should be placed and the hours it should be open and you know the sponsors that we have and what activations they'll be doing. So um, that, that's just kind of like the, the feedback uh, event portion of things. Um, when it comes to the event you know of, the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, um, I had a, I've had a very unique perspective because, like I mentioned earlier, I was a student, volunteer, then I was a full-time employee of the festival in Lee Schrager, and then when I left to work with Rachel, I was still on board with them as a consultant, and now I come back with Rachel like as her like talent representative, if you will. So I've seen it from all these different perspectives, which is super fun. Um, but somewhere like South Beach, she'll do, you know, her Burger Bash. It's our 10th year this year of the Burger Bash, which is super exciting. Funny enough, that event started when I was still working for the festival, and I was starting the production side of things and, you know, getting all of the chefs that we had. And at that time, it was only 12 or 15 chefs. Now I think it's about 30 or so. Right. And I was working with Randy Fisher, who's also been on your show, who's, who's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting and, everyone. Um, I actually had... I, yeah, I handed that event off to Randy, and he, him and his team at Cream have been producing that ever since. So something like that, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not really a lot of work for me. So if Randy or Lee or someone from the festival has a question about, you know, sometimes Rachel want to submit someone a burger she had recently, or, you know, they'll just want to make sure Rachel is where she needs to be at a certain time, and what time do we need her here, and why, and, um, you know, getting a special request like that, and then I'll study the menu that they're doing uh, usually because I know on, on her way to the event, Rachel's going to 
inevitably text me or call me and say, hey, Kathy, which which burger should I keep an eye out for? So <laughs> I, I remind her of ones she's had. I, I, I give her a heads up of ones that I think are a little fun and different and new and um, and things like that. And oftentimes there's, you know, FIU students there volunteering and we like to give them some love too because they're they're working their rear ends off that weekend. So that's kind of the gist of that. It's not a it's, I mean, I guess it's a lot of work in the grand scheme of things, but it's not too crazy. And then we have our cooking demo on Saturday afternoon at one thirty and I'll be up on stage with her as she does the demo. And basically what happens with that, um, I'll sit with her and we'll pick a few recipes to demo for the audience. And um, from there, uh, we'll, you know, write a whole breakdown and write a food order and equipment order and notes and send it into Devin Padgett at the festival and his team. And then work with kind of a student representative on, you know, prepping out the food and making sure, um, meats and plus, making sure everything's in its place. So. You know, I, I save Rachel some time. She could relax. She could do some media, and I go there a little early and prep everything out so she could kind of show up. We walk through the recipe. She could tweak anything that needs tweaking, and then I could set it up on stage, and she's good to go. And then I'm up there with her in case, you know, she can't find the tongs or needs more garlic or something like that. <laughs> wow, amazing. I, I'm I, you do so much. Uh, it's uh, you're you're so behind the scenes, and you're so I think you're so important and integral part of everything she's doing. Uh, I was going to ask because you're now in Chicago. You were in New York, but you moved back to Chicago. So how do you how do you uh, how do you work? Do you have a team with you when you go to these? Like when you're out in Austin, are you basically solo and being you know Rachel's you know. Uh, go-to on all these projects and working independently yourself? Yeah, it's kind of case by case. I, I'm usually flying solo on it. Um, if I need to pull people in in a certain city, I do so. Um, really, each project is different. So I'll give you an example. In Austin right now, we're doing a three-day party at a house we rented, and we have an event production company helping us on the ground to order you know, staging and equipment and things like that. Um, and then we'll do this big party at Stubbs called Feedback on Saturday afternoon of, uh, what is it, March 19th at, at Dirty South by Southwest. And they have an in-house catering person and special events person, so I work with them and I just sat with them and we were going through a bunch of different things. And then um, another big part of my job, Rachel, like QPC, as you may or may not know, um, she, she goes on anywhere, I don't know, sometimes three times a year, sometimes seven times a year we've been there. So... Um, QVC is about 30, 35 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, so I'll go to Philadelphia a day or two early ahead of her, and there's a staff that I work with at QVC. But what happens is I'll do all the breakdowns for all the food that we want to showcase. So I know what food Rachel is going to expect in a certain dish that she's selling at QVC. Um, so I'll write that down, and then I'll do a big order send that into the team I work with um, on the ground there at QVC, and then I show up. Um, sometimes I help them prep, but now we've been going so long, they kind of rock it all out for me, and I, you know, they just ask me any last-minute questions, and then I make sure the food, again, looks how, right. you know, it would be if Rachel were making it on air. Yeah, that's awesome. What about Yum-O? Am I saying it right? <laughs> Yum-O. Y- Yum-O? Yum-O, yeah. yeah. So Tell Yum-O me- is... As you mentioned, thank you, in the beginning, it's Rachel's Cooking and Kids Charity. Um, 
basically trying to empower kids and their families to have better relationships, healthier relationships with food and cooking. So there's three different pillars to Yummo. There's uh, cook, we say cook, feed, and fund. Um, the cooking component is our education tool. We've done work in school food-related things. We have you know, some great partners in that. And then the feeding component is helping you know, feed hungry kids. And then the funding component is providing scholarships. So we have some awesome national partners in each of those pillars. We launched Yomo on Rachel's daytime show with President Clinton, actually. I think that was in 2007 we launched it. Um, and we've been doing some great stuff ever since. A lot of the stuff you may read about in the media, and quite frankly, a lot of stuff we do is behind the scenes. And we'll do a lot for you know, school food and things like that. Um, that the USDA will, you know, get a read on and give a call to the local school district and say, hey, we heard Rachel Ray was using this product or something like this. Uh, tell us more about it. Or maybe we could make this an approved product for, you know, school food. And so a lot of the stuff maybe behind the scenes, that it's not all fluffy, you know, media pieces we're getting, but it's kind of making a difference, if you will. So we've done everything from fun programs for kids and parents to, um, you know, other things all right. all over the board. We've done lobbying in Washington, D.C. In 2010, we were lobbying for the child nutrition bill to try and get more money for school lunches and um, lots yeah. of different things, lots of different pilot programs, all really great stuff that allows us to kind of feel grateful and, and good about yeah. what we do, you know. Yeah, it's impressive. So before we take a little break here, I want to ask you my question I had from last week. I had on Bruce Bronster. He's the law partner at Windows Marks Lane in Mittendorf. So his question is, what's your favorite classic, iconic restaurant? Something that's been around for a while. Oh, man, that is a loaded question. <laughs> Anything in Chicago? That's like when that someone asked me, like, ah. Oh. When someone's like, oh, I'm in New York, where should I eat? Yeah. I'm like, really? That's your question? Or what's your favorite um, restaurant? No, I hate that, it, too. That's but... not that bad. <laughs> uh, honestly, I think every, every city has them. I love going to them all. Sometimes they're known for a certain dish. They always have a dish that's not as well known. And I'll just I, – I don't think I have one off the top of my head, but very quickly I'll tell you in New York, for me, it's Katz's. It's an institution and how they run things and – you know, how they do everything. It's just a, a sight to see. Um, I think in Chicago, on the, you know, steakhouse side, it's somewhere like Gibson that's been around forever. Or on the hot dog side, it's somewhere like uh, Superdog that's just outside of the city, a little drive-in that's incredible. Then you go to Miami, and there's obviously Joe Stone Crab, but you, you got to get their fried chicken. Um, obviously, the crabs are great, but the fried chicken is amazing. And then I think the hidden gem in Miami that's been there for, geez, I think over 30 years is Le Sandwicherie, which mm -hmm. is a countertop-only sandwich shop owned and run by this French man who's hilarious. And it's, it's not the best sandwich you've ever had, but it's just so good. And there's fixings that people, you know, there's like pickled cherry peppers or there's a vinaigrette they put on. And it's one of those things that it's just like it's about the experience, you know, and it's open late night and yeah, that's what I was saying. It's been so late. I think every city has their yeah. Every city has their one, and um, wow. I guess I have no one straight but, answer. <laughs> no, those those four you named are great. I'm I'm now hungry. <laughs> um, so on that note, we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and then we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. 
So this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Andrew Kaplan. And it's time for my speed round game. So, Andrew, what this is, I'm going to name a couple of things, either or a situation, and you just pick your preference. Are you ready? All right. I, I think so. <laughs> You'll be great at this. Here we go. Eat in or eat out. Did you get that? Eat in eat or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Ooh. I'm going to go with chef's counter. All right. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Hmm. I love Danny Meyer, and I know I will be accustomed to it one day, but I'm going to go with tipping. Okay. A few more. (laughs) Wrigley Field or Soldier Field? Ooh. Wrigley. Yeah, I'm a Wrigley fan. Chicago style or New York? Yeah, it is. Okay. How about Chicago style or New York style pizza? New York style. Ooh, New York wins. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, I thought you were going to follow that next one up with New York style hot dog or Chicago style hot dog. Well, we can do that one. I could throw in an extra. What would you go with? I'm all for, I like New York pizza and I like Chicago hot dogs. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> How about yeah. a cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Chicago. Or Miami. Chicago. I could throw in Miami, too. You live there as well. <laughs> Chicago. Yeah. Sick with, sick with Chicago. It's, that's home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I lived in Chicago. I don't know if you know this. I lived there in 95 no. to 98. Yeah. Long time ago. Really? I did. After I was I in, after college, I moved there, and I went to the Cooking Academy of Chicago when I was there. I went to a small cooking school thinking I wanted to be a chef. Um, I don't think that school is around anymore. But um, when you said Gibson's, I was thinking, like, that was around back then. Because a lot of the new – a lot of there's a lot of new things happening in Chicago. It's really an amazing restaurant town. So Yes, there is a ton of new things happening. Yeah, we'll have to. Well, we could talk more Chicago when I see you in South Beach. If you have time, you're going to be running around. 
I, I should have some time. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little industry news. Um, there wasn't anything so major in the news this week, but I pulled this article I saw on Gothamist. It's called Winter Spreading is Driving Restaurant and Bar Workers Crazy. So this is a new term <laughs> that I just learned of that they're calling winter spreading. And basically they're taking it off of the term man spreading, which if people don't know what that is, it's when men sit with their legs very wide and take up more than one seat. And I just encountered it on the subway coming here. So <laughs> um, winter spreading is apparently when people are going into restaurants, there's no coat check and they're just putting their jackets, you know, on chairs next to them, on tables next to them, and it's just kind of going everywhere, these these coats and scarves. Um, I thought it was just kind of an interesting piece, <laughs> noting what was happening in the scene. Of, yeah. Yeah, are you no, seeing I, that? No, it's funny. I, I, I saw that article, and listen, it's a super tough thing these days anyway. You know, for, if you don't know the business, it's, it's restaurant industry, it's like it could be a penny's business. So, for someone to have a 10 by 10 space for a coat check or something may potentially take a lot of revenue from tables that they could put there. So people are doing an extra small coat check or not doing a coat check. And truth be told, I don't use a coat check. Once in a while, someone will make it mandatory to check the coat. They have a space and there's no charge and that's what they want to do. Great. Um, I mean, I get it at the same time. I don't think it's hard to put your coat on the back of a chair, although it could be annoying if it's tight quarters and the server keeps walking by and it's falling on the ground and the server's working their rear end off. I get it. Um, but I think you just have to be aware of what's happening around you. I think like people, I think the article mentioned there's people, you know, they'll put their hat and gloves and scarf on the table next to them if it's open and say, oh, if someone's there, I'll move. But I mean, it, it's just not a good look for the restaurant. You just have to be aware of, of that and conscious of what's going on. Um, I'm going to sit on your coat, put it on your chair, stuff your hat and gloves in your sleeve. I think there's ways to be not so intrusive and in spreading out all of your winter gear. Granted, I know there's puffy coats that are like, it looks like you're hanging four coats over one <laughs> chair, but um, I, you know, it probably happens in the summer too. You know, people carry backpacks around and things like that, but I just think you have to be aware at the end of the day. and. I get it's tough from a server's perspective because they're working their butt off and running around a restaurant and filling waters and taking orders and delivering food. And the last thing they want to deal with is coats that they're stepping on and, you know, things like that. Yeah, I agree. I think it. it's uh, I think in New York, especially people schlep. I mean, people carry around a lot of stuff here and um, restaurants are tight and a lot of times tables are, are close together and. But I think you have to be mindful of your space. And I've encountered, too, where I've I've gone into restaurants and, you know, looked at the bar and thinking that it is full because there's people's jackets on other stools. And you just have to inquire. And what do you know? There isn't anyone sitting there. So um, I think that this does happen a lot. I, I um, didn't know it had a term. But now we know winter spreading is happening. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very funny. <laughs> it is funny. And, um, yeah, so the other article I had I just saw in the New York Times 
uh, it was called Table for One, Pulling Up a Chair for Solo Diners. And since I do my solo dining experience in every show, of course, this caught my eye. And this is a trend story in the travel section talking about how hotels and re- resorts are are making efforts to make solo diners more comfortable. Um, there was there was an example from Chicago of Atwood Restaurant um, working on uh, yeah. some, uh, expanding the bar. And there was... There was this one in Tucson saying, just cook for me chef program for 150 a person that was designed for solo guests to go in the kitchen and taste samples. So I thought it was interesting to see this trend. I mean, this, this, is, this is my jam, this article, because I'm, as I mentioned, on the road often and I'm eating alone often. And people are like, oh, that's so sad. You should call my friend so-and-so. And I was <laughs> like, no, I love it. Like. I, you know, they offer me a table and I love sitting at the bar, talk to the bartender, talk to people next to me. As you know, Sherry, I always order a little too much food and I feel bad not finishing it. So share it with the person next to me. I'll get to taste more things. And I'm all about the solo dining experience. I love it. Um, but when it comes to like the special solo dining experience that like some of these places are doing, I, I think it's a nice thing if they're getting that much influx of solo diners. But, you know, I worked at a restaurant in uh, Sunny Isles, North Miami, when I um, was in school at FIU called Timo. And it's a great chef and owner. And they never wanted to call attention to a solo diner because you never know. That person could be celebrating. That person could be something, you know, sad or bad may have just happened. But you never really want – they never really wanted to call attention to them. They wanted to be more – a natural thing. So they would simply always have a few magazine options, sports magazine, a food magazine, a lifestyle magazine, whatever it is. And they would go over and say, hello, sir. How are you? Thank you for coming in. Um, would you like a magazine to read? And back then, 10, 15 years ago, sometimes they'd take it. I mean, now do you really need a magazine because everyone's on their phone, right. whether they're solo or not? <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. And I was actually talking to a friend, yesterday at lunch about it. Uh, he's a Michelin-starred chef um, in Chicago. I, I, I apologize. I was eating at a restaurant of a Michelin-starred chef at the bar. Um, my wife and I went and sat at the bar and got some other bar snacks. We were talking to the general manager, and we were talking about Valentine's Day. It was the day before Valentine's Day. And we said, do you have a lot of reservations? He's like, yeah, we're fully booked. You know, it's a four-top here and there, but it's mostly two-tops. You know, he's actually he's like, we actually have one solo diner. And my, you know, we're like, oh wait, like, and right away we're like, wait, is that sad or maybe that's happy? You know, like, you never really know. And we were just discussing, like, what do you do for that solo diner? I feel like you want it to be as natural as possible and calling them out, like a solo diner menu, like, no thanks. Yeah. I, I could order off the regular menu. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you because I've been. I mean, solo dining is is my sort of my shtick and. Uh, I go anywhere and dine by myself, and I I sit at bars. I do white tablecloth menus, and I mean, I think this is it's interesting because so many more people they're noticing are dining solo. And I think I find now when I go into restaurants, I think people are less surprised when I say, you know, I'm here by myself because <laughs> I think I used to get like that, like them feeling bad for me in a sense, and I'm like, no, I'm perfectly happy. But I think they're getting more accustomed to it. But, um, yeah, all the points yeah. you make make sense to me. Um, 
I just think it's interesting that this has become a trend because they're noticing more more solo soloists out there. So it's interesting. I guess if you're in a certain like city or a business traveler or a yeah. hotel, there is a way to think about it. Like I'm in Austin right now. I've had quite a few people, whether it's work related or not, like, hey, we'd love to grab a drink or dinner and. I'm, as you know, I go, you know, right. I try and hop from restaurant to restaurant mm-hmm. when I'm on the road and have a couple snacks here and there. And, and basically, I just text them back. I was like, restaurant hopping tonight, probably be here at this time, here at this time, and here at this time. So I never know if I'm going to be solo yeah. or like five people are going to show up and join me. But, um, <laughs> well, you know, I'm usually fine with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. And on that note, take another yeah. quick break. Come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It is time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at the Lobster Press at the Penzi. Here's the rundown. Location, 2 Penn Plaza at 7th Avenue at 33rd Street in Midtown Manhattan. The concept, part of a new high-end food court and bar featuring five chef-driven concepts, including Mario by Mary with Mario Batali, Little Beat by Franklin Becker, and Pat LaFrieda. The chef at Lobster Press is Mark Forgione. Why did I go? Because I was looking for a quick bite before Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden, and the concert was awesome. Side note. My experience, I arrived around 7. It was freezing on Saturday night. The Penzi was happening. I waited in, for, in a short line at the Lobster Press. I ordered, waited a few minutes, got my food, and then sat at a counter stool nearby. What did I get? I had the half Lobster Press sandwich with cheese that came with a side of Chef Mark Forgione's famous chili lobster sauce for dipping. Think French dip, but with lobster. My take... I dipped and dunked my sandwich. It was quite tasty. The lobster was fresh, and there were a few decent-sized pieces in it. So it was, it was a good sandwich. The scene. I'd say it was hungry and loud tourists. Perfect for a fast and casual nosh. Interesting tidbit. Lobster Press was inspired by Mark Forgione's celebrated chili lobster dish at his namesake restaurant in Tribeca. Personal fun fact. I had dined at the Pensy once before at Mario by Mary, and I had their truffled cheese panini and stradicelli zuppa, and I especially love that soup. Not so personal fun fact. I'm sorry, but I hate the name, the Pensy. No one else seems to like it very much either. Just don't, don't get the Pensy. The cost, $10, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. The website is thepensy.nyc. Okay, it's time for the final question. So, Andrew, my next guest, I believe you know him. It is Brett Friedman of Agency 21 Uh, Consulting, another guy involved with South Beach Food and Wine Festival. (laughs) So um, (laughs) 
he does he does event management and corporate sponsorship so uh andrew what would you like to ask brett oh this is a tough question i want to throw brett a ringer <laughs> um no i brett i've known brett for a long time and him and his company agency 21 do great work and i don't know my direct question but here's what i want to know you know they do event production they do a lot of sponsorship you know sales and fulfillment and you know from the sponsorship side with digital becoming such a huge thing over the years don't quote me on this but i feel like i read something like pepsi spent 40 percent of their budget for super bowl on digital um rather than other forms of media so with that said and you know trying to keep these brands and corporate sponsors out there and relevant and have great activation at the festivals that Brett and his firm are part of. Um, what do you do different than you were doing 10 years ago? I mean, digital is such a huge thing, but is, is that, is that affecting them or, you know, how do you, how do you keep them relevant and wanting to have that? I think it's probably something in that like hands on touch point consumer experience, but, um, I think that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to direct it towards Brett. That'll give him, that'll give, give him something to talk about. Okay. It's a great question. Yeah. I'm curious to see what he has to say about that, that, all that. So awesome. Well, that is the show. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Uh, it was really great hearing about your story and all that you do. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I know we were trying to work it out, and I was going to be in New York, and my schedule changed, but thanks for letting me call in. It was awesome to chat with you, and I look forward to seeing you um, in Miami next week. Yes, yes, in in the warm, warm Miami weather, which will be a nice change. So, yes, I will look for you, and um, enjoy the rest of your time in Austin. So. My guest today has been Andrew Cappy Kaplan. He is the director of special projects for Rachel Ray. You can find him, their website's rachelray.com and also yum-o.org, two websites there. Social media on Cappy's plate and at Rachel Ray. My social media is at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. Facebook is all in the industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. If you miss any of the live, live broadcasts, you can always find us there. You can also always find us on Stitcher and iTunes. And um, I want to thank my engineer today, David. It's first time, first time engineering, and welcome to Heritage Radio. Great to have you. Thank you. And once again, thanks to Andrew Kaplan. So I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.